Well, welcome to everyone. And I invite you to make the internal gesture of welcoming and including yourselves in the life of this meditation center. Um, but just basically to welcome your own experience in the moment, whatever that might be. I'm quite passionate about mindfulness of the body, and I'm also on a very miniature campaign to treat my own body a little bit better. So accordingly, I went to the gym today, and I was on the elliptical trainer for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> kind of boring. <laughs> but I also ride my bike around and stuff. And I notice as I tune to attention toward the body that I see, um, you know, people wearing these kind of light, festive-looking outfits since it's warm and stuff. And what a nice season this is physically for us, most of us, I would say. The poem that I'll start with, I didn't write down the title or the author. You may have to look it up, or I should. No one lives his or her life disguised since childhood, haphazardly assembled from voices and fears and little pleasures. We come of age as masks. Our true face never speaks. Somewhere there must be storehouses where all these lives are laid away, like armor or old cars or coats hanging limply on the walls. Maybe all paths lead there to the repository of unlived things. So what I'm suggesting is that in some way our body, although it's a very um, huge part of our life, um, it is sort of like this repository of unlived things. It's in some ways the easiest thing to ignore, um, not be aware of, feel separated from, judge, be disappointed by, worry about, not give it enough credit for the deep intelligence that's embodied in us. This is a little gruesome, but I was um, reading about how some of the remains of that incredible plane crash in the Alps, um, where the pilot just flew into the mountain, some of you may have heard of that, and they found... Um, parts of the people who were there and sent them back to their families by looking at the DNA because there wasn't much shape to anything that was left there on the mountain. And um, I guess I'm diving right into the talk, but saying that in a sense to find out who someone was by their DNA, it also can tell you where their ancestors came from a lot. Um, just it's a, almost like a gate into deeper time. Even the numbers of chromosomes that we have all seem to come from one uh, original cell that decided to be alive, and most forms of life have just that same number. So it's, you know, you start to scratch the surface of the body and you find out a lot of incredible things. Contemplating this is part of, um, can be part of our practice, and I invite you to use your own intelligence or your own ways of um, contemplation, as I suggest some from the Buddhist tradition. It may be that some of you have very deep knowledge of 
you know, the body, its functions, and different aspects of it much more than I might have. Um, you may have training in medicine or some sort of body work, acupuncture. Maybe that's why you're here, I don't know. But we all have enough knowledge and understanding simply by having been issued a body. <laughs> did you get it when you were born, or did you get it before that? Um, so the philosopher Owen Flanagan says, um, there are several, perhaps there are several right answers to the question of how should I live? Perhaps many, and perhaps only a few of the best ideas have been tried. So perhaps there are several right answers to the question, how should I live? Maybe many, perhaps only a few of the best ideas have been tried. And I say that um, in order to really respect the intelligences of everyone in this room and to say that um, the Buddhist you know, path of practice is um, a suggestion or you know, it's an invitation. It is, can be quite universal in the sense that, let's say we all have bodies in here and our bodies are different though and they've had different histories and um, are seen by others in many different ways. And yet, maybe this Buddhist path is applicable to all the different experiences that we can have as embodied persons or beings even with our wildly diverse and interesting cultures, values, histories, ancestries. So we're here to all kind of open our minds and see what might work. As the Buddha said, it's not necessary to take anything on faith that's said, um, or that he said, but to see how it works for you. The catch being that you actually have to try it. And to see how it works, it's like, important to open your mind and be willing to sort of entertain uh, approaches and perspectives that are a little bit different from our own. Um, and trying it can be a matter of long-term experimentation. Even when I sometimes now talk about awareness to the body when I'm talking to myself, I think I don't want to be aware of the body. Like It's very uh, it's full, of, full of itches and pains and it's getting older, parts of it I dislike. Uh, why should I do this? <laughs> you know. Um, so I would like to propose some how and why to do this. Certainly the Buddha viewed um, people as a unity of body and mind, not just that the mind is more important or the body is more important, that it's kind of a, you know, a reciprocal system as we train in being aware of the body, we're actually training our mind as well. It's not sort of um, all about the body either, though it may seem to be. I'll list a few of the benefits, but just to say that they may sound like advertising to uh, lure you in. Um, but it actually does work very well, uh, paying attention to the body. So it increases our familiarity with our bodies and how the body responds to our inner and outer life thoughts and emotions and events around us. Like if you've ever watched a scary movie and, or like an exciting thing on television, like I have a way that my legs start shaking when I watch certain kind of spy things when 
you know that something's about to happen and it's going to be really scary, but you don't quite know what it is. And my leg starts going, Yee! my husband thinks it's really funny. He says, oh, you got the shaky shaky, huh? And it's almost like saying we're getting our money's worth out of this spy film. <laughs> or crying. You know, actually crying is sort of a physical thing. So you can see that like our mind and body are kind of um, affecting one another. And we can start to see sometimes that if there's pains in certain areas of our bodies, maybe we need to change our habits, something like that. So studying our body can help us toward well-being in many ways. But another really, I'm just going to make a, you know, sort of a big point, because there's a lot to say about the benefits um, of being aware of our bodies. Um, but if we are cut off in awareness from our bodies, then we lose touch also with... Um, a lot about our emotions, where we're really at, what we're really doing, what we're really feeling. And we also get trapped in a certain way in our heads. And um, being aware of the body through emotion is actually a way of soothing ourselves. It's been shown as well that the same place in our brain that lights up as we're paying attention to our body, is the one that lights up when we're listening with deep empathy to another person. So actually, awareness of our body, and um, I don't know if any of you practice listening in the way that it can be so helpful to just feel your own body and feel your own presence as you're listening to another person. It somehow helps you take them in more than if you're just sort of in your head and listening to the words. It's a mysterious thing, which goes back to the check it out side of it. It's hard to explain and um, how it works, but experientially, um, you can see that it works. So one way of talking about mindfulness of the body is just the simple moment-to-moment presence, like noticing uh, washing your hands before a big meeting and actually really being there with washing your hands and feeling your body. You might notice if it's some, you know, let's this fictitious little bubble I've created, like if it's before some big meeting or something that you have to do, you might, as you wash your hands, notice that your heart is beating um, harder than usual. And there's something also in the noticing of it, the way that we notice in meditation that can be very soothing and bring out a quality of compassion as we open to this person who might be a little bit nervous before making their presentation, for example. Or we might notice how, as we pay attention to our body, that our mind is somewhere far away, like in the future or the past. And as we analyze where our mind goes, as it goes away from where the body is, since the body is generally rooted in the present moment, you can experiment with that. You can say... Although we do carry a lot of history through our body, like everybody has probably little scars from when you fell down and when you were a kid and maybe your mother's chin or something like that that you could call history, in terms of where it is and what position it's in and the sensations in the body, it's only really now that it's happening. So as we see how much we travel away from the body, we might start to understand that our mind has a tendency to think that happiness is in the future or anywhere else other than here. So to put together the 
recommendation in Buddhist practice to pay attention to the body, it starts to seem all the more radical in terms of what a spiritual practice might be, that it's here and now in this very body. It's not in another place or after you're dead that happiness and well-being are to be discovered. So the Buddha suggested paying attention to the body you know, many, many, many times. And there's four areas generally that he said to pay mindful attention to, um, which were the body, kaya, feeling tones of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, neutral which is called vedana, mind, chitta, and mental patterns or dharma. So I'm only talking about one of them. And there could actually be many talks in this one talk because each, there's so many subsections of how he, there, it's suggested to uh, work with the body that um, I'll try to go through several of them. But I want to say that the way that we pay attention to the body and the way that we pay attention in all of these realms of the present moment, whether it's a physical attention that we pay or attending to whether something's challenging or easy or watching our mind move around and knowing that we're thinking and or knowing that we have emotions or noticing psychological patterns. Um, the way that we pay attention to all of these things is super fundamental. So we pay attention in the present with an quality of openness and not judging it, but sort of trying to understand it. And we'll often add, as we teach um, meditation, that there should be a sense of caring or kindness about what we're observing. A sense of um, kind of just really opening up to what's here. Whatever it might be, just the experience that's presenting itself. There's also a quality of a certain kind of energy in it, like to an energized attention. So we notice what's happening right when it's happening with energy, with a sort of dedication, but also with a very open and tender heart. So I don't know if this is making sense to you so far as sounding like something good to do in our life. Um, One of the good ways of living why would I want to pay attention to the body when I add the quality of the kind of attention to the body? And then I remember that the body sort of is the way it is. It's on its own little timeline that, um, although we can sort of try to rejuvenate by drinking green powder and stuff like that, it's, the timeline is kind of somewhat out of our control. So how would I want to take, you know, be with the body in this way, with this kind of attention of an open heart and a wise understanding. So this sense of coming to the body and connecting with it through attention and kind of remembering to include it so that it doesn't become the repository of unlived experiences it's so um, difficult for our crazy mind to even accept or be with on a deeper level, like from the bottom of your heart to say that it really matters to include your body in awareness. I don't know about all of you, but in my education and training, it's kind of seems like 
um, I need to encourage myself or be reminded that it does matter um, or that it can work. Not, um, let's see, because I think I believed for so many years that religion was about transcendence, that it was about going to sort of a better place and um, a better time or making something better or even making myself better or finding the solution, something like that, where this profound acceptance of life the way it is here and now is just, it seems to require a lifelong profound commitment and a certain amount of you know, mental consideration to um, analyze why it makes sense. So it's not really about transcending the body. It's about transforming our relationship to it through these qualities of mindful awareness. So here is a um, someone talking about the intelligence of the body. So imagine that your attention and awareness is like a fluid. Let it flow down from your head. You can try this as I'm saying it. Along the length of your spine. Right into the bottom of the spine in your pelvis. Sensations of the spine may come to you. Take your time and let the feeling of the spine emerge at its own pace. I'm, of course, rushing because I have a certain amount of time in the talk. Try to feel some of the knobbly bits, the curves and the bones. Maybe start with the spine as a unit. Bringing awareness to the whole spine you can see that it's composed of many separate parts. But it's also one unit as it functions. So a holistic relationship with yourself, people, nature, and the universe at large. Spend some time making this relationship with your spine. See what happens in your life. Finding your spine can be transformative. And I don't know if any of us really thought about our whole spine yet today until that was invited. I didn't. I think I might have thought about one part of it that gets tight, but not the others, like the little screaming part, but not respect for the whole thing and the way it works. And it's such an important column So the word for the body in Pali, which was the language of the Buddhist texts um, and in, also in Sanskrit, the Buddhist language, is kaya. And it's a pretty name. It's, I thought about like if I got a dog, I might name it that. Um, or a child. Uh, who knows? <laughs> but it's funny that like when we, our word for body makes it sound like it's one thing, sort of like the body. It's the body. Everybody's got one. But this word kaya means um, like a group or an assemblage. It's not just one thing. And 
because the word is like that, it's, there's also an encouragement to think about the wealth of the body or the diverse many parts of it. Like just now you can imagine each person can, you'll probably each think of different things. Like somebody might thinking about might think about all the toenails in the room. Um, <laughs> Or your liver or something, you know? Like, there's a lot of different things that go to make up this holistic thing of the body, and um, it both has parts and is a wholeness, um, which is quite amazing. When you develop more uh, depth in this, if you were to do it as a longer-term practice, you might find yourself being more and more amazed, you know, like as you think about all the things in the body. I started with the DNA, there's also the proteins, um, the breath, um, the way it moves, you know, so many aspects of this amazingness that's the body. There's a sutra or a story from the Buddha's time called the Kayagata Sati Sutta, which means uh, the story about awareness that's immersed in the body. So um, there are some monks or practitioners who are all in a forest grove, which is what, um, where people used to practice in the past outdoors. Um, and they just finished eating their lunch, and they were in the meeting hall, and they um, were sitting there without the Buddha around, and the, these guys, or I think they were probably guys, but let's just say it was a group of people like ourselves who had been practicing about the body for some time. And this is what they are starting to say, wow, isn't it amazing Isn't it astonishing the extent to which mindfulness immersed in the body when developed and pursued is of great fruit and great benefit? This is said by the blessed one who knows, who sees. Um, Isn't it wonderful? So some of them, I think, were talking about their, you know, the good time that they'd had or everything that they'd learned from their practice. But some of them were also just saying, wow, you know, this is so cool. Like, he's saying how amazing it is. And then the Buddha comes out and says, um, what are you talking about? And they said, wow, well, we're talking about the amazing benefits of mindfulness in the body. And then he says, well, um, let me tell you how to do it, you know. <laughs> and then, um, then he starts giving them instructions about noticing their breath which probably many of us in the room have learned and consider as a primary part of mindfulness meditation, right? The breath. Larry's written, Larry Rosenberg, the founder of the center here, has written an entire book about the breath. And there, one can spend you know, many years just developing understanding through mindfulness of breathing. So the Buddha says... Um, going to the forest or a root of a tree or an empty hut, an empty room, a spacious place. You sit down, you cross your legs, straighten the body, bring your awareness forward, and breathe in and out mindfully. So this instruction is a 2,600-year-old instruction. You've probably heard it before. And then there are gradual ways of approaching the and refining the awareness of the breath. Like, you know if your breath is smooth or harsh, you know if it's long or short. Um, and then you start to do things with it, like saying, breathing in, I calm the body. Breathing out, I calm the mind. It's a beautiful little verse and 
can sort of make the breath into something that sweeps through our conscious experience in a beautiful way. If any of you know Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, work with little verses, this is the beginning of one of his, and then it goes on to, ends up with the present moment, wonderful moment, um, as mindfulness of the breath is developed. It's so simple and so beautiful and so portable, like pretty much any time we're alive, we must be breathing, right? Like you can hold your breath only for so long. It's actually impossible to kill yourself by holding your breath, I've learned. (laughs) You might faint, but then it starts again. You'll notice that the breath is also, quote-unquote, a body. It's not just one thing. Like as the attention gets deeper, you'll notice that the idea of breath is one thing and the experience of breathing is another There's breath at the nostril, um, where I spent many years paying attention at a little spot kind of right around here, um, getting quite concentrated and high in various ways. Um, Later on, I was taught to pay attention to the breath at the belly because it's kind of a bigger, more coarse movement that doesn't tend to fade away like breath at the nose. I spent a long time paying attention to breath at the belly and noticing that Sometimes there was a belly, and sometimes it just seemed like a bunch of different sensations. And also, by the way, moving deeper into the body, when I first was invited to notice my belly, I was kind of afraid of it. I thought, um, I have mixed feelings about my belly. I sometimes think it's too baggy or soft or something. So in relating to different parts of the body through the breath, there was also some psychological and human healing to just be able to embrace those experiences in those places. So we may find that paying attention just to the breath or the physical experience of breathing is steadying and very profound, teaching our mind how to stay in one place, which is one of its abilities, and also to come back oh so very gently to this little feeling that we've chosen, this chosen focus. Because we know that if we decide to pay attention to something, one of the first things we learn is that the mind likes to run away from it almost instantly. So we learn to be more gentle as well as more focused. And again, by the supposed like failure to stay with the breath, we learn what our mind is actually doing. It's almost like a reverse instruction, like you start to see that you're thinking about a birthday party or fretting and anxiety, or you start to really learn um, what your patterns are by where the mind goes. So it's important to include all of the so-called distractions um, as we pay attention to the breath. I see people understanding this. And it's a door to a more integrated, holistic uh, type of awareness, not just living in your head, which can seem like the normal way to live until you start to discover there's a whole other world um, that we can access through the breathing. So that's just one small part of the um, recommendations for living in the body that the Buddha gave and that have been practiced from then until, you know, now until this very sitting, until this very moment. 
A second one is noticing your postures and your activities, um, sort of the shapes we take, which again can be a really sufficient um, practice in itself. Like, what am I doing? I'm sitting here. Like, I'm listening, but um, either my knees are up or my feet are on the floor in a chair or I'm, you know, feeling kind of erect or my hand is on my ear. Um, My body feels grinchy or comfortable. I wish it felt more comfortable. What am I doing? What, uh, where is my body right now? Sayadaw Utejaniya said at a recent retreat, he said, uh, when you brush your teeth, what's your other hand doing? <laughs> I don't, does anybody actually know what you do with your other hand <laughs> when you're brushing your teeth? <laughs> Aren't you like really on the one? So it's a whole body. (laughs) Check it out. (laughs) And we're supposed to notice this not as if from the outside, but actually feeling the posture that we're in or feeling the body the way it is. And like that can just have many benefits all on its own. Like um, Sometimes when I sit down to meditate and I notice the sense of the body in this posture, I'll feel like the tension that I'm carrying. Like I notice sometimes I'll, in the morning I meditate, um, but I don't feel quite ready to meditate and let go until I've figured out if I have any appointments today and stuff. So I go look on the email. Then, it, of course, I tend to get stuck in there for about an hour every time. <laughs> like I'm just going to check and see if that person's coming at 3 or 4 o'clock, and then an hour later I'm like, oh, God, go sit. But... I notice that I can tend to build up a tremendous, the body tends to build up a tremendous amount of tension sitting at the computer. If you sit right after you've been working in that format, which um, many of us spend some amount of time doing, you might notice what's happened to your body in the time that you were like all glommed onto what's going on in the screen and tending to be disassociated really from the body. like. I don't think the body's that happy when you're not paying attention to it, when you're not fully with it. Now, we don't have the option of remaining fully embodied all the time, like just like we go away from our breath, and it's important for us to be able to sort of leave our body. Um, We wouldn't probably have such a highly developed culture if we couldn't sort of ignore the breath at times, for example. Um, Imagine if it was the only thing you were able to pay attention to. would be terrible. Um, But what's useful about this positional meditation is that it can carry us through the whole day. Like if you develop a way of being aware of what um, the way your body's positioned or how it's moving or uh, where your arms are, it's a kind of subtle awareness that um, can become very continuous and keep you connected to yourself in a way that's uh, deeper than if you're mostly in your head all day long. So it can turn all of our activities into um, a mindfulness field if we take it on. And the feeling that I have from this type of practice is one of kind of coming home, of a sense of clarity and really knowing what my purpose is, actually. Um, Yeah. Because... One unfortunate side of the human mind is that um, although we have very beautiful 
pieces to us. Our mind can tend to fill up with neediness and discontentment unless we're doing something else with it, unless we're inviting a different experience. So paying some slight attention to where the body is can um, derail that natural sort of um, needy, greedy, worrying, um, bringing in situations and scenarios that have the strongest impact and fretting about them kind of thing, carrying them in our head a lot of the time. And to no avail, not to say that obsessing on stuff is is completely fruitless. I think a certain amount of obsessing is good because it kind of brings your brain up to a certain heat point where sometimes maybe you think of something new from bringing it to that heat point. But do, do we all agree that obsessing kind of after a certain point is not good? <laughs> it's kind of just hurting yourself a lot of the time. And we tend to let it run or run us more than it's needed. So this body attention posture thing can be very helpful that way. The next sector of attention um, to the body. So I'm going through the full instructions that the Buddha suggested in hopes that the, it'll be of use to you guys um, some way or other. And maybe that the overview can give you a sense of the great diversity of approaches and the richness of this whole field of practice. Um, even if you just listen to it now, and um, it evokes some sense of being embodied in, in a greater fullness uh, while you're in this room. The next one is to consider the body by its an- anatomical nature and its anatomical parts. So from the top of the head to the toes, noticing all the different parts of the body, like... Um, generally there's a traditional list called the 32 parts, but you're supposed to think about like starting with the hair on your head, you know, like the color and how close the roots of it are together and all that kind of stuff, like really specific stuff. Your own hair and also everyone else's hair, and um, I'm not noticing anyone here who absolutely has no hair on their head, but if you have no hair, you're also allowed to notice that or what you see in um, on other people's heads, like it's actually could, we're interested in people's hairdos. Generally, I think most of us sort of notice our own haircuts, hair color, and style. But noticing sort of the hairness of it, like on an anatomical level, and the colors and the features, it's a way that our mind can become very concentrated and interested. And you go through you know, then all your body hairs, and then the skin, and then the fingernails and toenails and stuff like that. This practice, some people develop it pretty strongly. Maybe doctors and nurses have a lot of access to this. Then you go, you go deeper in. You sort of go from the outside in and then from the inside out, like in the organs and the joints and the bones and the blood and stuff. I do it often in a sitting, um, my mind runs around quite a lot. I don't know if you can tell by the way I give a talk, but (laughs) so I find it helpful to have something to give it to grind on a little bit. So I usually start a sitting by um, going over my skin, like from the top to the bottom, and trying to sort of see it and put my attention right where the skin actually is. Then the flesh, like a little in from the skin, like the muscles and the blood vessels and stuff from, you know, I go 
top to bottom, bottom to top, as I was taught by a teacher um, a few years ago. Then the bones, and then sort of seeing it all together. It's really interesting. Once in a while it sort of really pops and I'll see like a super detailed vision of like the, you know, like a super digital photo of like the skin right inside my elbow or something. It's like, it's cool. <laughs> but what's the effect of it is to start to feel a little bit more kind of tender toward the livingness of this body and the biologicalness with a quality of respect and understanding that um, without this kind of exercise, it doesn't arise so easily. Our bodies are not necessarily personal, you know? Like they came to us from our parents. They were formed in different ways. Um, As we notice sort of bodiness in this way, one of the people that I work with in a meditation group said, like, she tends to be very shy and nervous, and um, she comes from another country and feels always like that she has an accent and she comes from somewhere and so she the place where she works there are sort of people of greater power than she has and she said well it was really fun for her to just start noticing male and female bodies beyond sort of all their ranks and the different kinds of coats they were wearing and stuff it was just basic models um big relief when her mind went to that rather than the habit of placing herself in relationship and this is actually part of the uh, point of this practice. The, where there's a sutta called the Vijaya Sutta in one of the oldest bodies of texts called the um, what's it, Sutta Nipata. How, except through lack of insight, could a person ever exalt themselves or disparage another because of what kind of body they have? Now that's kind of giving me a little goosebump because you think about how much pain there is in this world about exalting and disparaging based on types of bodies, right? Like certain kinds of people can come here and go there. Certain kinds of people are more likely to be killed by the police. Um, I just watched the video of a policeman kneeling on this girl's African-American girl's back after a pool party. I mean, it was, you knew it was wrong. And that all has to do with Uh, how except through lack of insight could one exalt oneself or put another person down because of what kind of body they have. So this um, noticing the anatomical nature can be liberating in so many ways, seeing kinds of bodies, young and old, healthy, unhealthy, mine or yours. You know, we could have probably randomly been each other, given how randomly we became ourselves, right? (laughs) So there's only a couple more, two more uh, pieces to this uh, different practices with the body. So I hope you're still interested. Um, I'm really putting a lot out and giving. This is a slightly serious, full, full um, talk. And you can choose um, any of these, develop them more, or just take them um, as something that is of interest or not interest. You might be drawn to some more than others. Um, And each one is a path to liberation and full enlightenment, and people have done sort of specialized in each of these, including just the plain mindfulness of sensation as we're taught. The next one is to notice that the body is composed of elements, 
um, not anatomical parts, but more like the chemi- chemical parts of it. And, you know, in the Buddha's time, they thought of elements the way they did in the ancient part of Western culture as earth, water, fire, and air as composing um, our life. And you could think that sort of it'd be like solids, liquids, energy, and movement, or gases. You know, it, there's a way that we can fit it along our own current uh, way of being taught about the material world. But what's interesting about this one is that um, it's both experiential, maybe a little bit more around the sensations of the body than the one where you contemplate the anatomical parts. Although you're not supposed to comp- contemplate the anatomy as being like a dead picture. It's like really your liver and try to feel how it works. But earth, water, fire, and air is more like you feel the solidness of your body, like the way it pushes down against the cushion or the cushion feels hard or soft to you, and that's kind of earth. And you think about the elements in your body, like the hardness of your bones and all the minerals in there are also like the earth. Or the watery nature of your body, like how we're all really like a big water bag, you know, 96% water. Um, Actually, seawater still inside you know we're saltier than just regular water because we came out of the ocean and contemplating that and the blood and the tears and the spit in your mouth and the urine in your bladder and trying to get a sense of the wateriness of yourself and noticing also how the water comes in and goes out of the body and the fluidity experience of movement Fire is the heat and the cold, and feeling that directly. And air being the breath especially, but also there's air all through our whole body cells and stuff. And air is also considered in the, on the experiential side to be the ability to move like the way wind moves. So feeling this um, quality of movement in the body is a subset of practicing with air. I don't have time to go through the whole, like, you know... Um, intricacy of this. But practicing this is a really expansive uh, way of being conscious of ourself. Like, you can start to feel that you are of the earth, really. Um, I took some delicious retreat walks this spring where I was just contemplating the elements in order, so just looking at earth and feeling earth. And then there's sort of earth with the quality of warmth of the sun or earth that's dry or earth that has water. And then you can contemplate water, like both where there is water or there's not water. Um, Dry sand and puddles, you know, just noticing um, the world through this lens. So it starts to make you feel like you're really part of something, um, much more opened up. And... um, that it's not necessarily all about, you know, it's this life is not just all about me. It's much bigger. In a funny way, it both deconstructs our body and integrates it at the same time. This practice with the elements, very, very freeing. There's a sense of kind of no beginning and no end in it, the ex- the way the elements are expressing themselves in nature. So it's kind of, I'd say, if the previous one was more anatomical, this one's more like, you know, like the huge sense of universal nature, something that we can touch through that. 
It also provides a deeper pathway into the nature of the sensations themselves, the sensations that we feel like heat and cold, like to really um, start to integrate our awareness with um, that play of temperature, which we're feeling all the time on our skin, really, especially through the skin, but also in the inner part of the body. How flickering the temperatures really are how heat and cold have changed in this room, even like when the fan goes on, it sort of cools down. It's hotter on the second floor. And the last um, contemplation of the body is a, you know, an unpopular one. It's the corpse meditations and the um, inevitability of our death, which once you get a body, then you're stuck with being alive and then dying at some point. And some bodies or beings die only after a few breaths, you know. And some go on until they're 106. And there's no date like there is on a jar. We don't always know. We've all survived long enough to be in this room, which is actually great. You could celebrate that within the contemplation of the inevitability of death is that it, for everyone here, it hasn't happened yet. But I don't know how many of us have been around someone who's dying and um, the sense of how ultimate that process is. Like when the person's gone and their body's still there, it's something really shocking. It makes you respect all the complexity of the one that they were, in a sense, all the life that they had, and almost love the travails, you know, almost think like, well, they weren't perfect, but wow, that was a human being. There was all those dimensions in there, you know. Um, So contemplating death can almost be a practice of love, I think, and a practice of appreciation of the moments that we have when we are alive, like what the hell is being alive? It's really quite wild. It's bringing us close to what is the nature of consciousness, I think, because contemplating death seems to be like the cessation of this conscious life, and it makes the conscious life the more um, vivid to us as we think that way. So I would say if there is a gateway to transcendence in this body practice, it might be this contemplation of death the ability to actually relate to our death um, in a new way, to make uh, some kind of relationship with that fact for ourselves and the fact of other people having died, which can be almost harder than thinking of ourselves dying for some of us, like losing people, that there can be some kind of life that goes on after someone important is gone, um, part of this contemplation. So it's a beautiful thing. And I would say in the contemplation of dying that it's not something to be rushed. It's actually a real practice. Like we shouldn't try to, you know, how when you're watching like a YouTube or something and you can like pull your finger across and kind of get to the end. If it's getting tedious, you want to see what the end is. You're going to, you know, and see the last piece. Like where I want to be in relationship to my own dying is like at complete peace uh, or happy with that um, 
it's a whole practice and it doesn't necessarily work like that. Like if it's scary, then we have to be with the scary and we have to love the one in us who's afraid um, or the one in us who doesn't want that and still stay open through the process of trying to bring those awarenesses near us. And again, this is just a suggestion for one of the good ways to live, like ignoring the fact that you're going to die might be okay too. I mean, it might be another good thing to be able to do. I'm not trying to lay this on like a huge heavy thing like you have to do it. Um, But to be able to, as one person said once, to be able to know that we can go to the place where we are not and be okay, quite powerful too. So I'll close with a poem by Joyce Sutphin called Living in the Body. It's a sort of simple poem. Body is something you need in order to stay on this planet, and you only get one. And no matter which one you get, it won't be satisfactory. It won't be beautiful enough, fast enough. It won't stay awake for days at a time, but it'll pull you down into a sleepy swamp ask you for apples and coffee and cake. Body's a thing you have to carry from one day into the next. The same eyebrows over the same eyes, and the same skin when you look in the mirror, and the same creaky knee when you get up from the floor, and your same wrist under the watch band. The changes you can make are small and very costly. Better leave it as it is. Body's a thing that you have to leave eventually, You know it because you've seen others do it, others who were once like you, living inside their own pile of bones and flesh, smiling at you, loving you, leaning in the door, talking to you for hours, and then one day they're gone. No forwarding address. So let's take a minute and just uh, sit quietly and you can let go of whatever didn't work for you or see what did or what resonates. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.